Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Spiritual Queen's Badass Podcast, the number one spirituality podcast on iTunes. My name is Emma Mumford and I'm your host. I'm the UK's leading law of attraction expert, award-winning life coach, two times best-selling author, manifestation YouTuber, speaker, and badass spiritual queen. I'm here to help you awaken and turn your dream life into an abundant reality and help you create your positively wealthy life full of happiness, abundance, and joy. I do this through sharing the power of law of attraction and spirituality. I hope my podcast will inspire you to raise your game and start living your best life today. Without further ado, let's get started with this week's episode. So thank you so much, gorgeous souls, for joining me for another one of my podcast episodes today. Today, I have the wonderful Paige Pritchard with us. And Paige, if you don't know, is a spending coach who helps women stop impulse shopping and overspending. She has a podcast called The Money Love Podcast, which I've also been on as well. It's a fabulous podcast. Go check it out. And group coaching program, Overcoming Overspending. Welcome to the show, Paige. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so good, Emma. I'm so excited to be on and talk about this with you today. It's going to be great. Yes. And obviously we are both have money backgrounds and obviously mm-hmm. love talking about money. And like I said to you before we started recording, we haven't had anybody on here talking about shopping or spending habits mm-hmm. in such a spiritual yet practical way. So I was so excited to get you on to discuss this because I think a lot of people, and I know my habits as well, like I'm eager to hear what tips you have to share with all of us. But before we dive into all of that goodness, I would love to know, Paige, when did you spiritually awaken? What's your story? Oh gosh. Well, my story goes way, way back. I This was definitely before I had my spiritual awakening, but it is a really well relevant part of my story and how I got to where I am and why I do what I do today. But it all kind of started in my younger 20s. When I graduated from college, I do what a lot of millennials do nowadays. And I was buried in student loan debt. I had absolutely no savings. Got my first job out of college. And I was like, listen, I'm going to go home and live with my parents for a year while I work this job. And I'm going to save all this money. I'm going to pay off my loans. And it's like, it's going to be fantastic. I'm going to make so much progress. And essentially, that's not what happened at all. Um, My kind of like, I guess it's definitely not a claim to fame, but a lot of people know me through my story of impulse shopping my way through an entire year's salary. And so what should have been this year where, you know, and I, I don't like to use the word should because I think that 
I'm actually really grateful that this happened to me because, which sounds crazy because it's why I am where I am today. But in my head, it was this year of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do so much and make so much progress. And essentially at the end of that year, I couldn't even afford to move out of my parents' house. Like my parents were like, okay, the deal was you were going to be here a year. It's a year. It's time for you to go. I couldn't afford a security deposit to get an apartment. And my mom is looking at me like, well, what do you mean? Like you have made $60,000 this past year. You've been living here. I actually worked at a car dealership. And so they actually gave me like, it wasn't, they didn't give it to me, but I had a free car to drive. They paid for my gas. They paid for my insurance. A lot of my other bills that you typically have to pay as an adult, I didn't have to pay again, cause I was at my parents' house. So, I mean, people are, people hear my story and they say, well, you couldn't have spent all of it, right? Cause you had bills and stuff like that. And I'm like, nope. I really didn't. Like, I, I mean, I truly, other than like what was taken out for taxes, you know, so let's call it $45,000. It was all in my closet. I spent it all on clothes and shoes and accessories. And now that I look back on it, like it was a time in my life where I was going through a lot. Like I just, I really didn't handle the transition from college to real world super well. I had just ended like a four-year relationship and like, I thought we were going to get married and like, just a lot of these things, I just didn't handle the change well. And shopping was my coping mechanism. Like shopping is how I would escape. Shopping is how I would make myself feel better. But it turned into this thing where it was like shopping was always the answer. If I wanted to celebrate, I would go shop. If something good or happy happened, it was like, ooh, let's go celebrate. Let's go shop. If I was having a hard day and I needed to pick me up, it was like, let's go shop. So no matter what was going on, I was always shopping. And I kind of had that moment where I couldn't even afford to move out of my parents' house. And I feel very lucky that I had that moment relatively young. I mean, I was 23 when that happened. And I know a lot of people who maybe you're listening to this or they hear my story, they're like, well, that's great for you that you kind of had your aha moment when you were 23 years old, but I'm 33 or 43 or 53. And I'm just now coming to this realization. Mm. And I just want to say like, it's never too late right? Like it's that famous saying, like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today right now. So it doesn't really matter like when you kind of have your, you know, what I call like your come to Jesus moment, like I did. But from that point forward, I don't want to paint it like it was just a complete overnight success. And like, I was able to turn my life around overnight because that's definitely not the case. It's been a decade in the making. I mean, that was when I was 23 and I'm now 34. So it's, been well over 10 years, but in that 10 years, I definitely started to dive into personal finance, learning as much about it as I could. But the one thing that I kept coming up against, like the brick wall that I felt like I kept hitting was all the advice that I kept getting to solve this problem. It just didn't resonate with me because it was coming from a lot of older men who were telling me to like stop buying lattes and to stop going out and basically just to like stop having a life. And they were also giving me like really surface level advice. They were like, unsubscribe from emails and unfollow people. And like just all of this stuff to kind of manipulate my external environment when the issue was rooted much deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, but you don't understand. Like, I don't even need to be getting the email. I'm literally just going to go up to the store on my (laughs) lunch break or like, you can tell me all day long to delete my credit card information out of the credit card autofill, but I know my credit card information by heart. So like that does nothing for me, right? Like that does not, that doesn't help me. 
And so I was like, okay, all of this advice, it's super surface level. It's not helping me because it's not actually addressing like the root cause of like why I'm actually shopping and why I'm actually spending. And so I really, over the past decade, have coupled what I call like the how-to black and white parts of money that when you go out and start learning about money, that's 90% of what you're going to get to the piece that I always feel like has been missing for a lot of us, which is why you do what you do. Because I help a lot of women that are very successful. They make great money. They're very highly educated. And many other areas of their life, they are super successful. And so they always tell me like, Paige, it's not a matter that I don't know what to do. Like I know what to do. And when it really comes down to like the rule, I'm going like this air quotes, rules of money and the how to's of money and like what you should be doing again, air quotes, it's actually quite simple. Like it's not like a third grader can understand it. Like it's actually not super complicated, but it's not what you know, it's what you do with what you know. And that's where things start to break down is the behavior side of it, the mindset side of it. And so that's why I decided to go back and get a life coaching certification and really start to blend in the mindset and the emotional pieces with like the how-to. And I think that's what makes my practice and my teachings a little different than most because we really get down to like why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, spend uh, overspending impulse shopping. It was like the one area of money that I felt like people kept coming to me in secret. I used to talk about everything related to money And this was the one area that people were coming to me, like emails, DMs, like, Hey, I don't know if you ever talk about this. I don't know if you have any resources for this, but like I'm in $10,000 of credit card debt because of shopping. And I will say, I feel like in the past like five years with three things, really the rise of social media, the rise of just technology and how easy shopping has become. Like think about how much Amazon has changed our lives in the past, like not even five years and the pandemic. I think the pandemic really poured gasoline on what had already been a problem for a lot of people. But then when people were stuck in their homes and bored or scared or anxious and we couldn't go anywhere, it's like, well, what are we going to do? I'm just going to get online and I'm going to shop. And a lot of us were getting a lot of money from, you know, like our respective governments and things like that. And so a lot of us just took it and spent it, right? It's like, let's go shop. So a couple of years ago, I really niched down to like, okay, this is something that people really need help with, but also like, there's just nothing out there to help people. There's no resources. And so I kind of decided to be that person and it's my passion. Like it's what I was put on this earth to do. So Long answer, Uh, but that's the background. But a beautiful journey. And, you know, thank God you did have that epiphany so young because now obviously in the, what, 10, 11 years since, you've been able to then heal that relationship within yourself and now be able to help other people, you know, heal those relationships as well. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like, um, you know, going through that journey and having these aha moments, did it feel like a spiritual awakening or awakening of some sorts to, you know, come back home to yourself, to connect more to you, to get to the root? Yeah. So I will say like, let's talk about the spiritual part of it, because again, you mentioned this, you were on my podcast last week and we, I I shared a little bit a bit of this with you, but I would say that the spiritual component of this, I do a lot of like mindset stuff, but the actual like spiritual part of it, 
probably didn't click for me, I would say, until the last maybe like one or two years. You call it being like a 90% manifester, which that like really clicked in my head. Because when you said that, I was like, oh, that's me. I was definitely the person that would just try to like action, action, action in all areas of my life with money as well. And it was probably, I would say a year or two ago when I really started to say like, okay, it still feels like something is missing. It still feels kind of like I'm like beating my head up against a wall in a lot of aspects. That's when I started learning a lot more about law of attraction and manifesting and realizing like, oh, there's this whole other component to it, which has been a really beautiful, I think, merge into everything else that I teach. But for me, this, the spiritual component, just being totally transparent, is still relatively new to me. And I still feel like I'm doing a lot of, a lot of work in that area. So. Amazing. And, you know, awakenings can look like so many different things, you know, over the years I've had very openly spiritual people here on the podcast. And I've had people who are like, do you know what, Emma, I probably wouldn't call myself spiritual or I've had what I would call an awakening, but I'm not sure if that is a spiritual awakening. So it's Mm -hmm. interesting that sometimes, and you know, I find when, as I explained to you, when I had my kind of like pre-spiritual awakening when I found couponing, like, although I wouldn't call it a spiritual awakening, it was awakening of some sorts into my purpose, into helping people and finding my calling, so to speak. So I think there's lots of different awakenings in life that can give us those aha moments, like you say, and um, put us on our path to what we're meant to be doing. But let's get into the good stuff then, because everyone listening is going to be like, right, Paige, how do I know if I have a shopping problem? So what are the real reasons why we impulse shop? Yeah. So I love your, let's kind of break that down into two things, because to to your point, let's first talk about like what you said, how you know if you have a shopping problem, right? I think that that's always kind of a good place to, to start. So I always like to start by defining you know, my brand is kind of called overcoming overspending. And I do want to say this because it's a very catchy tagline. And I think when people hear the term overspending, our brains immediately go to, oh, okay, well, that just means that I'm like spending more money than I have, or I'm going into debt, or I'm just spending more money than I planned on spending. And yes, that can absolutely be overspending. I mean, that is overspending. I kind of define overspending as more like an overarching term. The way that I define it is just like any spending that you're not, that you're doing, that's not to your benefit. Any spending that you're doing, that's taking you farther away from where you want to get to in the future and this future version that you have of yourself. And so a lot of people, I'm going to go through kind of these points of like how to know if you have a shopping problem. But I just want to say that if you hear the term overspending and you're like, well, I'm not going into debt and I'm not spending money that you don't have, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not a problem. Okay. So here's just some five easy ways just to kind of think through this. First of all, is shopping your coping mechanism? Do you find that you do a lot of shopping when you're in a negative emotional state and you are trying to make yourself feel better? Many studies have shown that compulsive shoppers, typically when they start shopping, they're already in a negative emotional state and they're trying to use shopping as more of like a pick-me-up. And so I always say, just bring some awareness to your spending and to your shopping. So maybe when you're out, like next time you find yourself going to Amazon or Sephora or whatever it is, kind of tune in and be like, what am I feeling right now? Like what's going on on an emotional level? And am I using shopping as a coping mechanism, as a buffer to numb, to distract? That can be one key indication. 
Another one is that shopping to you is just more about like the high of the buy. Like you almost kind of seek it out for that euphoric feeling and to kind of get that rush. And the reason that this makes it more so like a problem, so to speak, is because when you're solely concerned on just getting that hit of dopamine and getting that rush and that high of the buy, you tend to be a lot less focused on what you're actually buying. It really could be anything. So you're a lot less focused on the product and the benefits that you're getting from the product and the value that's actually going to be like brought into your life from what you're buying. And it's more so just about like, I just want to entertain myself. I just kind of want that rush, that dopamine hit. And so because of that, you typically end up with a lot of stuff that you don't use and you don't get a lot of use out of. And that's kind of the third one. Like, do you have a lot of stuff that you're buying and afterwards you're like, I don't really know why I bought that. You're not getting a lot of use out of things. You kind of have like product graveyards, right? Like maybe underneath your bathroom sink or maybe like in your pantry or in your closet, right? You have a lot of stuff that you've maybe worn once or still has the tags on them, which then kind of leads to, do you return a lot of things? And I'm not saying like returning things is bad, trust me. And I'm definitely not saying that you need to hold on to things that you spend your money on. And then you realize after the fact, like, I don't like this or this isn't going to work for me. But what I'm saying is, is like, are you returning things more from the mindset of like, I, sh- I like I know this just doesn't feel aligned to me. It's not like an issue with the product. It's more an issue with knowing that you spent your money out of alignment and then you get it and you're like, this just doesn't feel right to me. And so you end up spending a lot of time returning things. And then also lastly, just like is shopping starting to impact your life in non-financial ways? Yes, of course. Impulse shopping and overspending is going to affect your finances. So there's kind of like the obvious ones of like, are you going into debt? Are you not hitting financial goals that you want to be hitting? Again, is it taking you farther away from a financial perspective? But is this starting to impact your life in ways that aren't financial? Do you have a lot of clutter building up? I mean, studies have shown that clutter reduces our cortisol levels. It put us in, it puts us in a low grade fight or flight response. It reduces it or it, it, um, sucks up a lot of our mental load. Are you spending a lot of time on shopping? Like a lot of my clients come to me spending so much of their precious time on searching the new arrivals pages, buying things, tracking packages, unboxing things, returning things. Is it negatively impacting your relationships? Right? Are other people in your life like starting to be impacted by this behavior? And is it something that you're kind of trying um, starting to hide? right? Like you're hiding the stuff that you're buying maybe from your spouse or your partner or maybe your roommates or things like that. So those are just all some signs that maybe this is getting to a point where um, you kind of, it's kind of getting to the point where it's a problem. And then to your point, the three mindsets that I want to keep, that I want you to keep in mind that can cause a lot of overspending are, I am what I do. I am what I have. And I am what other people think of me. So I can kind of break those three down just really quickly. But I am what I do. Be really careful when it comes to your spending habits and your shopping habits that you don't take shopping and take it on as like an identity. And I feel like when it comes to money, this is something that like spending and shopping is the one area that we tend to take and like 
assume as a part of our personality and assume as a part of our identity. I hear this a lot with my clients. They're like, oh, well, I'm the shopper, I'm the spender, and my partner's the saver. Or like you identify like on a deep level as like, I'm a shopper, I'm a splurger, I'm a spender. And my, if you're going to take one thing from this episode, listening to this, please take this, is that spending is not who you are. Being a shopper is not who you are. It's something that you do. Therefore, it's a skill. It's actually something that you can get better at. But this first one, I am what I do. We think that when we impulse shop, that makes us an impulse shopper. When we overspend, that makes us an overspender. You have to detach this from a part of your personality and your identity. Because again, going into the psychology of it all, whatever you identify as, your brain will always be working in the background subconsciously to prove that true, right? And so if you have this identity as a shopper and a saver, you will always, or um, a shopper and a spender, you will always be living into that. Secondly, I am what I have. This is putting a lot of your self-worth in what you own. And this one's really hard to do because I feel just like this is just consumer culture that we live in. Like consumer culture wants to tell you that you are only as good as, as what you own. The more you have, the more you own, the nicer stuff that you have, the more status you're going to have, the more popularity you're going to have, the more importance you're going to have just overall in society. And so when we buy into that and we think like, I am what I have, you are going to tie so much of your worthiness into what you own. So we have to learn to detach that. And then three, I am what others think of me. This of course is a big one, right? Like how much shopping and how much spending do we do simply to try to buy the praise, the validation, and the attention of other people. It's a lot, right? And so when you can learn to detach, like I'm not what other people think of me, I'm going to spend my money for me, regardless of how other people perceive it, or regardless of the looks or the attention or the eyeballs that it's going to get from other people, that is something that will completely transform your spending habits as well. Hmm. I mean, just wow. I feel like you've given us such a wealth of... (laughs) information and knowledge in there that I've just been like yeah 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 taking notes but there's two points that I really want to touch upon there from what you just shared because all of it was so insightful and so useful and I think a lot of us can really resonate with a lot of those points that you've kind of brought up but the decluttering side the clutter side of things is really important Mm -hmm. because I know especially in the years where I kind of hadn't identified my trauma or limiting beliefs And I was kind of manifesting, I would say even before my manifesting days as well, when I was in my couponing days, you know, I suddenly had all this money that I hadn't had before. And because I had anxiety, because I had depression, you know, I had those emotions and feelings underneath me that loved to shop to then, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was actually getting a bargain. So there is couponing and saving money. And then there was, I'm going to buy it because it's so cheap. I'm going to buy it because I'm getting a discount. So I found that even though my couponing habits were really positive, that my also inner work was then reflecting into buying things because it was cheap, because it was discounted, because it was half price or because I had a coupon for it. So then I accumulated all these things that I didn't really need. Like you say, Mm -hmm. clothes had the tag on still, barely wore them once. And, you know, like my mum, when I would donate all these clothes, because I'm like, 
I'm not going to wear them. I haven't worn them. She'd be like, Emma, the tags are still on them. And I would feel so much shame around that of like, mm-hmm. God, like even my parents are judging me now for my spending and clothes habits. So I feel like as I got into the spiritual side of things, I feel like this happened naturally, kind of like a detox of a lot of things in my life. But I feel like now I'm so, so different in my spending habits and even house and clothes habits because I don't want a cluttered space and I don't want to go through every autumn equinox and solstice and declutter and be like, you've just spent your money on shit again. And there's Mm -hmm. just stuff cluttering the place. It's cluttering your energy. And as we know, when you declutter, you create the space for new abundance to come in. So for me, like having that, you know, having clothes that I love and I wear like so much till they're like literally falling at the seam, like, you know, fraying at the seams. Mm -hmm. To me, brings me so much joy because I invest in more quality pieces that last longer and that feel more aligned. And when I wrote Positively Wealthy, I wrote a um, technique in there called mindful spending, which really has helped me over the years with impulse shopping, with those kind of moments of, you know, the dopamine, like you say, and me and my friend were talking about this recently about the dopamine effect of buying and how she was recognizing she was having that. And for me, you know, mindful spending, if we turn it into a spiritual practice is exactly what you've been saying, like holding the item, looking at the service, how much joy is this actually going to bring me? How much am I going to wear this? Mm -hmm. You know, is this, when I look at my bank balance on Monday, am I going to feel more anxious because I've spent that money or am I going to feel more joyful and fulfilled because I know that that money has gone on something that genuinely brings joy and genuinely feels aligned. So um, I love this conversation because there's so much we can take away from this and it's so interesting, the psychology behind it. But the second point, Paige, I wanted to discuss was actually the societal pressures as well, because you're so right. And as you were saying, you know, the three things that have contributed to the rise in the last five years, I was like, gosh, it's so true. Like during mm-hmm. COVID, everybody had money. I mean, as Etsy shops and as small businesses, we had our best years ever because people yeah. Buying, buying, buying. And then, um, you know, all of my small business friends who had product businesses, especially not necessarily coaches, but like candles, that kind of thing. Um, you know, a lot of them had to shut their businesses down because all of a sudden no one was spending again. So it was really interesting to see the shopping habits, even during COVID. I don't know whether it was the same in the States for you. Yeah, no, it was. It, it was, it was just this like, it felt like this like feast or famine, right? It was just this like huge surge, this huge, just kind of like people were just like out of the gates. And then all of a sudden it just felt like, and like, I don't know how it is in you guys in the UK, but like over here in the US right now, like we have the big R word that's like going around that like everybody seems to be talking about, right? Like recession, recession, recession. And so it's just, it's crazy. Like it's crazy how people's spending habits can go from one side of the pendulum to the complete opposite side of the pendulum in, in just, I mean, a matter of like months, right? It's just, it's, it's wild. We, I definitely experienced the same thing over here in, in the U S yeah. 
And, you know, a lot of what we've spoken about as well so far, and I gave the example of my mum making the comments about the tags on the clothes, you know, it, it does bring up that feeling of shame, doesn't it? Around, you know, if your partner comments to you like, oh, you've been ordering a lot recently, mm-hmm. or oh, there's a lot of returns, or, you know, like, oh, you've still got the tags on those clothes, or oh, I haven't seen you wear that before, or, you know, like all those comments that we hear. So shame does play a big role in our money mindset. So how can our past money choices, like how do we drop this shame around our past money choices and around maybe comments that we hear from the people around us? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. Shame is probably the one emotion that I see the most in my clients because again, there's so much shame that we attach to money in general, right? Like when we feel like we've done something bad or something wrong, or we're not as far along as we need to be with our money. Like shame is such a huge component of that. So I'll kind of give you three tips with shame. So my first, like, I guess most fun tip that I like with shame, which is, it's kind of weird to put like fun and shame in the same camp because obviously shame is not fun at all, but here's where I say to start. I'm like, okay, let's just try to like lighten the shame just a little bit. So I'm like, I want you to think whenever you're thinking about your past money choices that you've made, that you're not super happy with, maybe you're not super proud of, you have a lot of guilt and shame around them. I want you to think of, okay, this is the same thing as you looking back on the past version of you, maybe from like five years ago or 10 years ago, looking at like the old outfits that you used to wear. So, you know, like when you see a picture of yourself from like 10 years ago, like what's the first thing that you notice? You immediately look at like, what was I wearing? Right. And most of the time, like, especially if it's been a while, you look at what you're wearing and you're like, what, what was I thinking? You know what I mean? Like I, my, my, it's just like, we, we kind of had this moment where we're like, oh, haha, like, look at my outfit back then. Like all of these like things that used to be like cool and trendy that we used to like think that we look so good. And so I'm like, when you do that, like when you look at a picture of your past self from 10 or 15 years ago, and you kind of look at what you used to wear, you don't look at that version of yourself and go, oh my God, I can't believe you. you're such an idiot. You're so stupid. I can't believe that you actually thought that you would ever wear it. Like we don't just like immediately start with like the judgment and the criticism. We do kind of have this moment where, where we're like, oh my gosh, like that's kind of funny that like at one point I thought that that looked good. But the reason that we can kind of have a lighthearted and almost kind of like a fun and compassionate view of our past selves in that way is because we remember and we understand that at the time we loved that outfit. And we thought that that outfit was like on point. Like we thought that we looked so good and you could not convince us otherwise. Right. And so I'm like, take that same mindset and apply it to your money choices because I'm a firm believer that most of us are just doing the best that we can and making the best decisions that we can in the moment with the knowledge, expertise, and experience that we hold today. And a big mistake that I see a lot of people making, I hate to use the word mistake, but just something that I feel like uh, like a lot of people do that just doesn't serve us in any way. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market is we tend to judge and beat up the past version of ourselves for not having knowledge and information and expertise or experience that we hold today. Like a lot of times I'll hear the women in my community say like, but I should have known better. Like I just, I should have known better. And when I ask them, well, why, like, why should you have known better? They're always like, well, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like I should have known better. And I'm like, but that's the point though. Like the point though, is that you didn't know better. And now you've, acquired knowledge and you've gone through these life experiences that have taught you these these very, very valuable lessons that you can now use to do better moving forward and make different choices for yourself moving forward that perhaps will serve you better and you like better. But beating yourself up and wallowing in the shame and saying like, I should have known better when many times the truth is, is that the only way to know better is to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to I had to make a $60,000 mistake to learn all of the life lessons that it taught me. And I could sit here today and I could wallow in that and I could be like, "Oh my god, think about all the ways that my life could be so different if I didn't spend that $60,000 and I invested it or I paid off my debt." Like I could wallow in that. But the other thing about shame is that there's just like no point to it. Mm. Shame is not productive. All shame is going to do is have you hide and bury and avoid, which then is just going to make your financial situation worse, which is then just going to create more shame for you. So yeah, step one, just try like when you're looking back on your, on your past self and your money choices, try to have that like super compassionate view of yourself, just how you would if you were looking at an outfit that you were wearing 10 years ago, right? You're like, it's definitely not a choice that I would make today. It's definitely not an outfit that I would make today. But, you know, it's just like, at the time, we thought it was a super good decision and we can have love and compassion for that version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Realize that shame Mm -hmm. isn't making the problem better. And I feel like with money, like, I, I think that the reason that we have so much shame with money is because we view money as this very like black and white rules driven resource. And when we think about money, we think about all the rules that we should be following. And so when we don't follow those rules, that's where the guilt and that's where the shame comes in. And so the third part of this is give yourself permission to make your own rules around money. 
Because when you can understand that there's no like black and white playbook that you need to be living by and following step by step verbatim, and you give yourself the power and the autonomy to almost in a sense, like make your own rules. I find when we give ourselves that gift of doing that, it helps us release a lot of the shame because shames come from shoulds. Shames come from, I should be doing it this way. I should be doing it that way. I'm breaking this rule. I'm breaking that rule. And when you can find a system for your money that you love and works well for you, not only can you release that shame, but then to your point, when other people start chirping and kind of making those comments, you kind of have your own confidence in knowing I've found something that works for me. I know that this is going to get me to where I want to go. I know that it's aligned to my goals and my priorities and this what feels good for me. So those are kind of the the three ways that I approach shame. Like have compassion for yourself. Understand that shame isn't productive and it's not getting you to where you want to go. And drop the shoulds. Make your own rules and find that power, authority, and confidence within yourself to do that. And I think that's so empowering because... Um, like with the example you gave um, of someone saying, you know, like I should have known better. And I always say, mm-hmm. well, there isn't money education. How can any of mm-hmm. us know better when we're not taught how to manage money? We're not taught about debt, about credit cards, about spending, none mm-hmm. of this, literally nothing. So how on earth would any of us have money education without lived experience, without making those mistakes and realizing, okay, here's how money works, here's how what feels good, here's what doesn't feel good. So yeah, I definitely feel like money is such an area that creates so much shame and judgment when actually we don't realize sometimes that there isn't anyone teaching us. Well, now there is obviously you and me and everyone else. But, you know, like when you're young, when you're in school, like there's nobody there saying, here's what happens when you go into the big wide world. Here's how you Mm -hmm. interact with money. Here's, you know, how you save. Here's how you save for a house. Like there's none of that. And I think, you know, that's where a lot of the problems really stem. Yeah. And to add on to that, especially on the spending piece, I will say that like, a lot of us think about spending money like breathing in terms of like we think that we should just come into the world knowing how to spend money and it's just something that you never have to learn how to do it's just something that you do so a lot of us were like you don't ever learn how to breathe you just come into the world instinctually knowing how to breathe you just start breathing and you keep breathing and it's not something that you ever have to like learn or practice or work at. It's just something that you do. That's how a lot of us think of spending. We don't think of it as a skill. We don't think of it as like, this is something that I actually have to practice and work on. It's something that I can get better at. We just think you just spend, you just spend your money. And that mindset is one of the most harmful ones because when you think, oh, it's just, it's just something that you do to your point. That's when we go out and can create results for ourselves that after the fact, having hindsight, we're like, I don't, I don't like this. Like, I don't like this result that I've created for myself, but then we're left feeling like so confused because we're like, well, this is something that I should just know how to do. This is just something that I should instinctually be good at. So what's wrong with me? When in fact, there's nothing wrong with you. You just haven't learned the skill of it. So I love that you said that. It's so true. Mm, Absolutely. So 
Paige, I want to dive back into the social media side of things because I think it's really interesting that you brought that up. And oh my gosh, mm-hmm. so freaking true, isn't it? So uh, what are the four harmful mindsets that social media instills in us that causes us to overspend? Yeah, yeah. So I just want to say, like, before I get into these four, that social media has completely changed the game with our spending habits. And it's what I said at the beginning. I think that social media is is really just the gasoline being poured on an open fire. And so if you are somebody who struggles with your spending habits, it's not that you can't be on social media at all. And in fact, like I'm not even a big fan of telling you like, oh, you need to go unfollow all these people that trigger you. I actually think when you do this work, the inner transformation from the inside out, and again, you learn the skill of spending, you can actually still follow all the people that you want to follow. But you just have to be conscious that social media has taken our levels of comparison to a whole new level, right? Even even for me, I didn't grow up with social media. I mean, Facebook kind of just like became a thing when I was in college, but like we didn't grow up with Instagram. We didn't grow up with TikTok. And so it it, it was just like, we didn't have this level of transparency and visibility into other people's lives that we have today. And so again, just be conscious of it, but there's four main things that I see on social media that you just have to be really careful about these mindsets that it tries to push to you that really aren't true and aren't super healthy. So the first one is that like you always need the newest and the best and the latest and the greatest, right? And it feels like you get something and as soon as you get something, like the next version of it comes out and social media is going to want to try to tell you that you always need to be upgrading to the new thing. And like, if you don't have the latest version, like who even are you, right? So, but the thing is, is like, the best thing that you can do exactly what you said, Emma, is like extract as much value as you can out of your products. I think our brains want to try to convince us that like what feels best is being able to have like the newest, shiniest gadget in our fingers. But I think actually what genuinely feels good in our heart of hearts and what feels best long-term is knowing that like you bought something, you used it, you got value out of it, you've loved it, It served such like a meaningful purpose in your life and you've gotten all the use and value out of it that you can until you essentially go on to the next thing. So like I'm really big of like using up all your products, right? Like I have a personal rule for me of with beauty products, makeup, skincare products, hair products. It's like I use up the entire bottle, the entire jar. I hit pan, you know, whatever they call it until I go out and I buy more. So that's one theme is just that you always constantly need to be upgrading and that there's always something out there that you need to be buying and acquiring and desiring. The second one is prioritizing instant gratification over delayed gratification. There's all of these trends on social media, like little treat culture, right? Like, oh, I'm just going to go out and get myself a little treat, which listen, y'all, there's nothing wrong with going and getting yourself a treat, but there is something to be said about the waiting and about the pause. Like there's so much power in the pause in between you kind of first getting that twinge of like, ooh, I want to go buy something or, ooh, I want to buy this and actually 
buying it. Because I find that typically the purchases that we have the most regret over and the most buyer's remorse over are the ones that we buy immediately. They are the ones that we buy the most impulsively because those purchasing decisions are being made from what I call your lizard brain, your downstairs brain, the part of your brain that simply just wants to get a hit of dopamine and seek pleasure, which is not a logical, that's not the logical part of your brain. That's not the part of your brain thinking about like, well, how am I going to pay for this 30 days from now when my credit card statement comes in? Or how am I even going to feel about this thing 30 days from now? Like 30 days from now, am I still even going to be excited about this? Am I still even going to want it? So social media is all about instant gratification. It is all about going and doing what you want, when you want. And I think that there's definitely part of it of like, we don't have to deprive ourselves. We don't have to live in this bubble. We don't have to just not have any fun. But there's actually so much pleasure and so much goodness in the waiting, especially with our purchases. The second one is getting yourself into an all or nothing thinking. This is what social media promotes. And this especially I feel like is true when we enter into new stages of our life. Like when you move into a new apartment, you have to furnish your entire apartment. Like your entire apartment has to be completely furnished. When you have a baby, you need all of the baby gear, like all of it. When you um, start a new job, you need a completely new wardrobe. And so we get into this like all or nothing type of thinking that when we enter in these new phases of life, it's like it has to be complete immediately. When really it's like the best thing to do is to work yourself into the stage of life and to live a little bit of life in that stage and actually figure out like, what do I need? What do I like? What makes sense for me? Like I had a baby 15 months ago, my first baby, and it was just wild to me. Like everyone out there being like, here's a list of 200 things that I'm obsessed with and you have to have, you know what I mean? And so you get in your brain and you're like, I have to have it. Like this is something that I have to have when really like the honest truth is, is you need about 10% of that to actually just like bring your baby home, take care of your baby. And so I haven't done this perfectly in a lot of other life changes, but I feel like I did it pretty well with my daughter. I like only bought the essentials. I was like, I'm only going to buy the essentials. And then as we start going out and living life with her and figuring out like what this is going to be and what it's going to look like, I'll go out and get what I need. And y'all, here we go. Like the great thing is, is like Amazon. It'll be at your door like in 24, 48 hours max. So social media is definitely going to promote like an all or nothing thinking. It's okay to work yourself up. It's okay to move into a new apartment and have old furniture. And over time, consistently be replacing that furniture with pieces that you really like and that you're not going to hate a year from now. That's another thing I find is like when we go out and we buy all this stuff, Typically, it ends up being stuff that like a year later, we're like, I don't even like this anymore, right? Um, So that's the third one. And then the fourth is that more is better. I think we have this idea that the more stuff I have, the happier I'm going to be. And there's actually kind of this famous... I guess kind of like chart in the personal finance world. It's called a it's called the fulfillment curve, but just think of it like kind of like a roller coaster, right? It goes up and then it comes back down. And what the fulfillment curve tells us is that all of us as human beings have a certain point where we reach the point of sufficiency and enoughness. And I know you use the word abundance a lot. I think of abundance as enough. Like 
I don't think of abundance as just having like your life stuffed with like whatever you want and having all of this stuff everywhere. Like to me, that's not true abundance. To me, abundance is found in knowing that you have exactly what you need and exactly like what the universe wants you to have. It's reaching the top of that curve because what the curve tells us is that you're going to reach the top of that curve. Your levels of happiness and fulfillment are going to increase as you're going up the curve. But then any spending that you do past that point is will actually start to have the opposite effect. And it starts to bring down your levels of happiness and fulfillment. And that's the spending that you've done that maybe you're like, you buy something and you're like, this didn't make me happy at all. This didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. In fact, I actually feel pretty bad about this purchase. Um, I don't like it. I want to return it. It was spent impulsively. So just getting out of this mindset that like the goal is to have as much as you possibly can, as fast as you possibly can. Because I, I believe that there is such a thing as overabundance. Like I think there is such a thing as having too much stuff to where you're stu- like the things that you consume will actually start to consume you in a negative way. So those are the four. Wow, 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 wow. (laughs) And I just love all four of those because it's so true. And even what you were sharing there about having an overabundance, like nobody talks about that. But absolutely, Mm -hmm. like, like you say, it can start to consume you. And I feel like when we have enough abundance, like you say, you know, where all your needs are met, you're fulfilled, you're happy, you're achieving your dreams, and that's good. Like Mm -hmm. there's space, there is space for expansion, there is space to just be there is space for gratitude there is space yes. for peace whereas if you are overcomplicating, filling it with as much stuff like you say like you say it's going to lower your vibration essentially because yeah, then it does there's no space for expansion there's no space for you to grow into that space so to speak you're just going to be weighed down by those things and think right I need to declutter again because my manifestations are blocked I'm feeling stuck or stagnant I'm seeing blocks in my life so I love how you put that actually because it makes a lot of sense into law of attraction teachings around you know creating the space for things and actually sometimes too much uh, what's to say they say like too much of anything is is not good or something like that there's a right. famous thing which I'm paraphrasing terribly there but um, I think it's definitely true and the weight as well like you say um, you know I've always found that any big purchases that I've made like if I go and buy it impulsively like yes there's probably a good chance I'm really gonna like feel excited and love that thing and love it for many years but actually when I have to wait for it And maybe it's because I can't go get it straight away or maybe I want to save up for it or whatever the reason is. I always find, or even if it's a manifestation, if I have to wait, I feel so much more grateful for it. I feel so much more Mm -hmm. appreciative for it because I've had that time to fall in love with it properly, to make sure that it feels 100% aligned, to make sure that this is a purchase that does feel mindful and not mindless. So you know, like a hundred percent, like an example of this sounds so silly, but um, I got a Kindle recently and I've been contemplating it for ages. And we're talking like Kindles are like, what, 80, a hundred pounds, something like that. So not the hugest purchase, but still an investment of money. And for ages, I was like, what's the point, Emma? You got, just, you prefer paperbacks, just 
just don't buy it. Like I was talking myself out of it for ages because I was like, no, 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 put it off, put it off. But actually when I realized that I did really want this Kindle, that six months later, I was like, I still want this Kindle. It still feels good. When I got it, it was like the Holy Grail. And like, honestly, it was like my favorite birthday present page because I was like, yeah, it feels so good now. And I got it as a gift as well, which was even better. And it sounds so silly, but that weight really made me be a hundred percent sure I wanted that. And I wasn't just going to have it sat in the drawer for months and months not used. But also then it felt more special and it, you know, I had more gratitude for it. Yeah. And it's crazy that you say that that's like a perfect example of this, right? And again, like the world is going to tell you and social media is going to tell you, like, just get what you want the second that the desire hits you. But to your point, like the psychology behind it shows that there's actually so much pleasure in the waiting because scientists call dopamine the anticipation molecule, which essentially means that dopamine is released, yes, when we get whatever pleasurable stimuli that it, it that we're wanting. So like, yes, we get a hit of dopamine when we swipe the credit card and we spend the money. But most of the dopamine that we get is actually released in the anticipation of something. And that's why like so many studies have shown, um, or there's this really famous study that showed that most people actually get more enjoyment and more happiness out of the period of time leading up to a vacation than they actually do on the actual vacation itself, right? And that's because of this, of how dopamine works with anticipation. And like for me, I always say like my my favorite day of the year is not Christmas day. It's Christmas Eve day. Like I love the day before Christmas because it's just like you're in this like buzz and this energy of just like this anticipation of like what's to come. And then it almost feels like Christmas day. I mean, Christmas day is great, but like Christmas day, you're kind of like, Oh, like it's over. (laughs) You know what I mean? And a lot of my clients tell me that, you know, they're like, once we learn this skill of waiting and saving up for things, or even just giving, even if you already have the money for it, like even if, you know, to your point, it's like you wanted the Kendall. And I'm sure when that desire hit you, you had the 80 or $100. It's like you could have gone and bought it in that moment if you wanted to. But the fact that you waited on it, it's like, yes, you're going to get pleasure and the anticipation of it. Then when you get it, you get it knowing this is something that I want. This is something that I'm going to use. And it's almost just like I've waited for this. Like, Mm -hmm. And so I always say there's so much waiting and also so much pleasure. There's so much pleasure in the waiting. So waiting to buy things, again, I know it goes completely against everything basically you're going to hear out in the world, but it's so underrated. It's so underrated. Like it actually feels so good to like wait and save up for your purchases. It's the best. (laughs) And it's so much more fulfilling, I think, as well to be like, wow, I've for two months or whatever like put that money aside and now I have that and I think you know as well because I know that coming from a money background as a banker and as a money saver and now obviously spirituality you know I know a lot of people would think that that probably sounds like a lack mindset and does that actually block money manifestations Mm. and abundance by having that mindset but I have honestly never found that. And I've never found that because it enhances gratitude. It enhances positive money spending. And you feel more abundant because you are, you know, saving, but using your money in more mindful ways, which 
always is going to create more abundance. The problems I see with money mindset is that people will go out and frivolously spend and think like, oh, well, I'm showing the universe I'm abundant. Yay, go out Mm -hmm. spend this. Then they look at their bank account on Monday morning and they're like, oh crap. And they're Mm -hmm. filled with anxiety. They're filled with that fear. And none of that is ever going to make your bank balance magically feel more abundant because you're mindlessly spending. So even though when you're mindful spending, your bank balance may be going down, you know that every single transaction, every single purpose feels aligned, whether that's because you've saved for it and you've waited, whether that's because it feels like that hell yes in that moment. So I think being more intentional with our spending, with our money can never, ever promote lack because being intentional is the whole part that is missing a lot of money teachings. Yeah. And you touched on a point that I, that I talk on a lot. Um, again, when we start to kind of blend the like money management piece with the spirituality piece, because to your point, a lot of people will come to me and they'll say, well, I've heard this thing about how you're supposed to spend like you're already your future self. Like if I, if I have this vision that my future self is going to drive a Porsche then I need to show the universe that like I trust in that and go out and buy the Porsche now, right? And to me, I'm like, listen, I think exactly what you said. I'm like, if anything, I think that that's taking you farther away from ultimately this thing that you want. Because I think that having the desire for something and, you know, like that your your five-step process that you that you walk your your community through, right? Like asking for something and be very, being very clear and specific on what you want. It doesn't mean that because you desire something, you need to have it right this second and you need to go spend money that you don't have or put yourself in a financially challenging situation. Because to your point, I think that that just creates more resistance that you're going to have to solve for and more resistance that you're going to have to fix rather than the knowing. And like you talk about the most important piece of the trusting of like, I trust that this is going to be mine one day. Like I trust that I will have this one day. That day is just not today. It doesn't mean that it's not coming though. It doesn't mean that it's not on its way to me, but just because I have this desire for something doesn't mean that it's meant to be mine today and go out and spend money that I don't have or put myself in a hard financial situation just to like show the universe that I'm trusting. Because if anything, I think that shows that you don't trust. If anything, Mm -hmm. I think it shows that you're, that you're trying to force it so much so that, that you're willing to put yourself in a challenging situation to like make it happen when it's not meant to happen yet. So I completely 100% agree with you on that. Say it louder for the people in the back. Yes, 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 honestly. And, you know, great point there when you touch upon like the version of yourself who has that desire. Is the version of yourself who has that nice car or whatever, are they going to be fearful, anxious, worried, like checking their bank, like, oh God, I really should have spent that money. No, they're going to be happy, relaxed, joyful, grateful, enjoying that car and being like, wow, like I manifested this how incredible is this so spot on with that like I couldn't agree anymore that you know there are some harmful teachings out there that I feel you know people don't necessarily understand fully where like you say they think that going out and frivolously spending is the answer to show how abundant you are but Mm -hmm. I mean 
everything is energy and your emotions and feelings don't lie. So you might be on the outside faking it till you make it like I'm abundant, I'm rich, I'm wealthy. But you know, if your energy and frequency and vibration is not matching that, the universe would be like, are you sure? Because we're just giving you what you are. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's yeah. so important that we that we do mindfully spend 100%. But anyway, Paige, before I let you go, I've got one last question for you today. What is one piece of life advice that you would like to leave my lovely listeners with? I think, like I said, if you're just going to take one thing from this episode, take that spending is a skill because I think when you realize that it just changes so many things for you. It it allows you to understand that this is something that you're not just like naturally going to be good at. So if this if this is something that you feel like you've struggled with in the past and you're sitting there with a lot of shame and guilt around it and thinking like what's wrong with me? I must be broken that I can't figure this out and everyone else can. You're not, right? It's a skill. It's something that you can practice and get better at. And I'm evidence to that, right? My spending used to be a hot mess. And if you looked at my spending when I was 23 versus now, you th- you wouldn't even think that you were looking at the same person, right? So if you just need a little bit of evidence to latch onto to kind of start forming that belief, I can be that evidence for you of just a complete night and day different spending habits. So spending is a skill. Love that. Amazing. And where can everybody find you, Paige, if they want to learn more about your work? Yeah. So on social, I'm most active on Instagram and TikTok. My handle is overcoming underscore overspending. Like Emma said, I also have a podcast. It's called the Money Love Podcast. So if you want a good money podcast where we blend a lot of like money and psychology, that's a great place to come and join. And then I also have a monthly membership called Overcoming Overspending. So we basically come, we do, we meet 10 times every single month. We do coaching. We come together as a community. You get my entire process to stop overspending. We always have like a monthly topic and a monthly challenge. So it's really a place where you're like, if this is something that you need to work on and you want a community to do that in where you're going to be given the tools to do it, but then also the support and the community of other women who are trying to achieve the same thing, I invite you to come join. So you can join at overcomingoverspending.com. Amazing. And I'll put a clickable link to Paige's website in the description below so you can go and find all of that really easily as well. But oh my gosh, Paige, I think this is the longest podcast guest episode we've done in a while, but I feel like we have... (laughs) I know you told me before, you're like, we're probably going to record for like 20 minutes and I look up and it's been an hour and I'm like, oh my gosh, how? It went so quick. (laughs) But I just feel like you've shared so much value and so many pearls of wisdom that I know will just help people hugely. So thank you so much for sharing everything and shining your light because I know this conversation will help lots and lots of people listening. So thank you so much, Paige. Of course. Thank you for having me on, Emma. So I really hope you have enjoyed Paige and I's conversation today. As always, you can find a clickable link to Paige's work in the description below. And if you want to find out anything more about myself, my coaching, my books, my videos, or anything else that I have to offer, you can find it all at emmamumford.co.uk. So thank you so much, gorgeous souls, for listening. I appreciate all your views and listens. Don't forget to subscribe if you're new here because I would love, love to see you again soon. Don't forget you can also join my free Law of Attraction support group over on Facebook where you can join myself and other like-minded souls where we talk all things Law of Attraction and spirituality. I hope you have a fabulous week, whatever you're up to, and I'll see you all in my next podcast episode, which will be next week. Lots of love. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.